Okay, recording? Hello and welcome to the Chunder Living Podcast. It is late summer 2015 and I'm Charlie. I'm joined by Dan, Eli, and a guest named Justin. Justin is the proprietor of the Iron Pig Barbecue Restaurant in Chengdu. Welcome. Thanks a lot, man. Why don't you give an introduction of yourself and Iron Pig briefly if people don't know? I will say first that the reason why Justin is here is because I will speak for the three of us and say that Iron Pig is one of our favorite restaurants in Chengdu and has had some very exciting developments recently. But describe what your barbecue restaurant is about. Sure. Um, well, I mean, it just started like uh, pretty much a year and a half ago. Um, myself and my friend, we were really frustrated. We couldn't find good barbecue. And, you know, living in China, of course, you know, have a place that you can actually go to to actually do it yourself, usually on the, your, unless you're living in a place like Eli has, which is a mega, a mega mansion out here on the rooftop. But, um, no, but seriously, um, I mean, I, I, this is something I'd always wanted to do, especially after living in China for about 17 years. So together with um, a friend of mine, we started to um, design a smoker. One thing uh, led to another. You know, we had to find a place to put it in. Um, after we found a place to put it in, we said, well, you know, why don't we just open up a place so we can cook every day? Um, so that's basically how we got into it. But, um, I mean, it's really grown, and, and I think what's, what's keeping us growing is just the reactions we get uh, from our customers and, and, you know, the appreciation we get and support we get from the community. So that's really, you know, just pushing us. And we're also looking at opening up a new place uh, down in Tonsalin, so that's our next step now. Cool. When's the place in Tongzhou and uh, Knock on wood, then um, it should be by end of uh, uh, this coming week. So, what is it? The sixth? Uh, no, twenty. Today's the sixteenth. So the twenty yeah. first, twenty second. Twenty first, twenty second, something like that. You guys yeah. are looking to open up by then. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. That's awesome. So we've all been out to the uh, the store in the shop in uh, Flower Town, and we we all saw the. Smoker, it's incredible. It right. makes some amazing food. It's it's gigantic. You said it was a cement mixing company that that uh, fabricated it for you. Yeah, I mean it's it's a little bit serendipitous, but I mean we had a good friend of ours that um, he has a, a factory that's making cement mixing uh, equipments, and he can roll his own steel. He's got a good welder out there, so we just you know made the designs ourselves, took it out to him, um, and just amazing. He was able to come out and just uh, pretty much do it without any flaws. So, so uh, sorry, um, I didn't really understand what a smoker was at mm. first. Could you explain like the mechanism how well, it cooks it? Yeah, I mean it's really it's a really important because you know it's uh, normally from uh, most people they they uh, the thing of barbecue is just being something you do on a, like a grill, like a Weber grill, which is great. And there's nothing wrong with it. Um, but but we'll, that's for amateurs. No, come on, come on. <laughs> uh, no, but we you want to take it to the next level. You got no, I mean, but but it's it's the idea. Of what we're doing is it's, it's called like low and slow barbecue, which is smoking, um, and that means is you don't have a direct fire on the meat. You're you're rather you're cooking your meat from indirect heat and also from the smoke. So that's um, it's usually it's a lot longer period of time instead of usually like barbecue where you're doing it in a couple minutes or so. We're doing it for hours. So for beef brisket, for example, it's ten hours. Uh, ribs, it's four to five hours. Um, pork butt, it's like uh, about seven, six, about six or seven hours or so. So, I mean, the idea is that you want to slowly caress that meat with nice smoke, um, a little bit of warmth, and then gradually you break down all the collagen, all the connective tissues. You wind up something that's really smoking, um, just delicious, uh, moist. 
Um, just perfect. <laughs> just making all of our mouths water right now. <laughs> I mean, you can really taste the caressing that goes yeah. into the preparation. And actually, the outcome is that then, in turn, the barbecue caresses your mouth mm. when it hits your taste buds. It's a symbiotic. Caressing. Yeah, I mean, and, and what's, what's amazing is, like, after you get started on this, you really learn is that, you know, it's not a direct science. I mean, there's so many factors that go into it. It's, it's really an art. Um, but what keeps you going is definitely its end result. Oh, yeah, and, and you know, there's definitely uh, positive feedback that uh, you get directly by, uh, by, by tasting it yourself. We were lucky enough to uh, get a sample of your goods right at the inception of your shop down at Flowertown. Um, some people may recall we, we posted a brief interview with you a few months ago, um, but we were blown away not just by the quality of the food that you had there and the dedication that you put into it, but also impressed by the DIY spirit. And, and that's something that we, I mean, you know, speaking on behalf of the team, really admire you for is taking a, a complicated project that's worthwhile into your own hands and figuring out a way to solve it using the resources that were available to you. Um, and the fact that you would design your own smoker in AutoCAD and seek out a, uh, a manufacturer who could fabricate it for you um, on, on a one out of one basis is, um, I mean, it's really a notable achievement. So uh, every time you eat that meat, it, it also has a favorable association with uh, the hard work and the effort that went into producing that. I find it really amazing, too, because a lot of Western things, including food here, are at best kind of an approximation of the best thing you can get overseas. I think that donuts are a good example of that. Johnny Five makes tremendous donuts, but there are a lot of places in the States which have famous, world-famous donuts. But barbecue is one in which I enjoyed your barbecue so much that I would say it's some of the best I've ever had anywhere because there's not kind of one place that stands out in my mind as, you know, the, the best barbecue I've ever had really. But it's really remarkable to have something that I feel like is truly world-class. World class. Yeah, exactly. And Dan just returned from New York and... Maybe you can say yeah. what you said to me. Yeah, I went to a dinosaur barbecue. You might be familiar. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a huge. It's where you barbecue a dinosaur. Yeah, yeah. Ribs <laughs> are gigantic. Um, but uh, I came back uh, just recently from the states. Went to dinosaur barbecue, and their coleslaw doesn't touch yours. Uh, this <laughs> doesn't touch it. The coleslaw. I never enjoyed coleslaw until I ate yours. Um, your sides are awesome. The barbecue is amazing. Just to throw on a little bit more praise, and then we can we can move just on. Just slather it yeah, like barbecue yeah, just sauce. Ca just caress the praise <laughs> into the for hours. Are, or do you have a background as a chef, or how did this start? Because you don't you work in a separate industry. Yeah, I mean, I my background is completely different. It comes from logistics, but the only thing I just want to say is, I mean, I, I think the important thing is that you know I, I have no you know background in cooking or whatever, but. What drives me is I want to eat something that I like, and I'd rather like have people try something that I, I think has a good flavor to it, rather than just you know following a cookbook or you know following whatever somebody else thinks or whatever. But I mean, I cook and I, I ask our people to cook basically according to what I think is what I had back home, you know, and what kind of food that I, I like. So you know, so, I just hope other people like it. Yeah. Uh, so at your shop, uh, you're not doing. You're not always there doing the cooking. You have you have a smoke master, right? Yeah, we got a smoke master, um, and we got people that are doing the sides as well. It's a Chinese um, guy, right? Yeah, yeah. And and his background is also in barbecue. Um, I mean, he's he's done Chinese barbecue for uh, several years before he came to us. And then um, you know, and and it's really amazing is that I've seen this 
happened so many different times is that at first they're very skeptical that, you know, what do you mean? You got to cook it for five hours or 10 hours. You got to be crazy. You know, yeah, and direct, then, direct heat is really the style here. Just, yeah, he's it, like, just, wow, you foreigners really are dumb. Right, we can, we can do that job so much faster. Yeah, you're so inefficient. Um, and then it comes to like to the taste as well. Is that um, for Chinese, like for a lot of the beef, it has to be a little bit um, more on the beef jerky side, or hard, or maybe a little bit fried, or something like that. Um, and it's completely different taste, and people are very skeptical at the beginning. But once they try it, I would say 99% of the time they get converted. And usually after they try one bite, two bites, um, it's like seeing a light bulb going off their head. That there's also this other you know, taste spectrum that they've never encountered before. That must be really satisfying for you to watch, to see, to see oh, yeah. people like, come to appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and it's not like they're, they're going to like every single thing that you make, but... Mm-hmm. I, I think it's worthwhile that, you know, people, they have something new to, you know, to expand their horizon. And, and then, you know, if we can put a smile on someone's face for that, and that's, that's the best. Well, I, I would actually make the argument, hearing you say that kind of uh, created a breakthrough in my mind, which is that you were saying that your background doesn't really have anything to do with this current uh, project that you, you undertook. But when you talk about the project, it makes me realize how much your, your background in logistics actually did help you and contribute to your being the man who is capable to tackle this problem. Because the challenge that kept people from being able to create authentic barbecue in China was essentially a logistical challenge. Because it's so much more difficult to create that process, to cook something really slow, really low. There's no prefab equipment on the market that's capable of doing that. There's yeah. nobody with that knowledge in place and the way that you beat that is by hard work and understanding the the logistical process of it you broke the process down into steps you created the right tools you created the right workflow you trained the people and that allows you to produce this this delicious and consistent product yeah and and you know it's as you could probably tell eli comes from a logistics background as well um so (laughs) logistics (laughs) what 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 So, I mean, but, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, but it's something that's that, you know, in China, living in China, it's almost, um, it's one of the most interesting places because almost you can find anything that you would ever think of is always made here, and it's probably made by a shop down the street or someplace close to you. You can find everything. It's the most DIY-friendly place, I can imagine. Yeah, and, you know, that... You can hack the supply chain, so to speak. (laughs) Or use Taobao. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and, and sometimes, you know, it's, it's not easy unless you can speak the language so you can explain to somebody if they've never made it. I mean, our guys, they had no concept of what a smoker was. But if you're willing to put in the time, you explain to them. Um, and they're really interested to learn as well, I found. So, I mean, you know, if you put in the effort, you find the right people, you can do a lot of things, a lot of wonders. So let me turn the volume up, get a little bit of high How long have you been in China? Uh, About 17 years now. Um, 17 years, yeah. really long time. So it's interesting because you and Johnny are kind of at two different ends of this spectrum. He just kind right. of appeared not knowing anything about China or Asia. And within right. six months had a donut shop. And you've been here for almost two decades. And so it's it's easy to see how you would be advantaged 
in setting up a lot of these things. Yeah, I think 17 years, there's one thing that's taught me um, is from being here for so long is that you have to have patience for sometimes. Um, you see a lot of obstacles, a lot of um, problems, but you know, if you really are determined and, and you look um, for different ways to achieving the same goal, um, you can often like find ways to get around that. I think your, familiar, your familiarity with the local conditions and your attitude of being willing to work with local partners and, and having the belief that you would be able to collaborate with them successfully was a huge contributor into your being able to set up the shop successfully. And, and you know what I mean by the sort of logistical hurdles that would have kept people from achieving this kind of goal in the process, even though they didn't realize that that's what was preventing it, is when you look at something like, I mean, obviously the fabrication of the smoker itself was you know a, a, a creative stroke of, of genius and, and hard work but looking at something like the installation of the smoker in your particular location is a logistical problem which 99% of all the foreigners in China would have no idea how to solve because um, as, as you told us when we went out there uh, and, and saw this uh, beautiful majestic gigantic smoker lodged on the patio in the back of your of your shop, you had to bring in a crane to lift it over the wall to get it into the back there. Um, can you tell us a little bit about um, uh, getting that crane since it's kind of a remote location where the shop is located? Yeah, thanks for reminding me of that of that nightmare. Um, but no, it was it was uh, we we knew it was going to be a problem, and and because we we do a lot of um, oversized um, uh, transportation, a lot of projects, um, and so we knew you know, we had to find a, a different solution for that. So I guess logistics did help us in a way uh, for solving that problem. You had a crane vendor handy. Yeah, I mean, we, we just went out and found a crane, um, you know, and it wasn't that expensive. So instead of our, our option A, which was knocking down the wall, we well, were able well, to... What you're looking at there, like a, like a 15, like a 20-ton crane? What, what's the... Uh, the no, convention? it was like a 5-ton train. Five, I mean, it's, it wasn't that, that, that bad. Uh-huh. But um, the, only, the only problem was that we had, like... Uh, telephone wires, electrical wires running, and then we had to like squeeze it right through the middle uh, to get it through and, and then drop it into uh, the courtyard area. So that was, that was the thing that we were a little bit concerned about. So now you're opening a restaurant in Tonzalin, and what is the relationship between the two places? Will the old place in Flower Town remain, and that's like a production facility? Yeah, I mean, our, our heart and soul is still in Flower Town. We're going to have our smoker down there, um, so that place will still remain as long as they don't tear us down. Um, and, you know, we're also, we're close to Dojo, which is also really, uh, something that we want to be a part of is in the future as well. Um, yeah, and that's another thing. We're neighbors. Yeah. So we've been, at, we've been having a house and with events at, in Flower Town for a couple of years. And we actually used to go to the restaurant that used to be there a lot. It was a Yunnan restaurant. Right, right. And it's a wonderful neighborhood that we kind of have there, which is kind of holding on. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little bit sad that. I think it's lost a little bit of what it used to have, um, but it's still, it's a great place. I mean, if anyone is um, interested to spend a night or, you know, uh, evening in the countryside or daytime in the countryside, it's definitely worth go out there and, and take a look around. Um, uh, you know, it's a little bit hard to find, but yeah, it's definitely so worth we're, it. We're talking about the Sanxiangxiang Hongxiaochun little development, which is outside of Chengdu. I guess that would be in the southeastern uh, quadrant of the city, um, just inside of the the Zhaocheng, just outside of the Third Ring Road. Right, um, and it, it's an area that has a, a lot of 
um, shops that sell flowers and, and sell trees and other sorts of greenery and then tucked away behind uh, some of that, that, uh, that agricultural market area is uh, a group of, of houses and uh, bars and other sort of restaurants that are... Nongjialus. Uh, no, yeah, Nongjialus, right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and a Nongjialus is like a, a, a sort of country-style dining in where people from the city might go to have a, a nice big meal and stay the night depending on the arrangement. Right. And then the objective for Tonsland is that, um, you know, we want to have someplace a little bit more accessible for people. Um, you know, I was talking with somebody else today and they were saying, yeah, for foreigners, um, going more than like one kilometer to them seems like, oh, it's, it's the end of the world um, sometimes because, you know, it, it, it is a, a, an aspect of uh, living in China if you don't know the language and such. Uh, to get out and try to find places that you've never been to can be, you know, sort of discouraging. Yeah, I, I also think that the market that you're um, looking to to attack primarily is one that's interested in in luxury, and uh, people who are trying to repl replicate the finer things of American life here in China, and uh, that may be a demographic that's predisposed uh, predisposed not to want to trek out. Um, and maybe also predisposed to not have the language capacity or local familiarity to be able to navigate that trip out to Flower Town smoothly. So uh, if you can uh, expedite the delivery mechanism of getting that great food to them, uh, it'll probably improve your business. That street also is an even bigger hotspot for Western food now. So there's Johnny Five, there's Mike's Pizza Kitchen, Red Beard Burgers, and now your restaurant as well. Yeah, What's your relationship with these other restaurants? Do you guys work together? Um, I mean, it's, yeah, definitely. We, we, we work together to try to collaborate. I mean, um, we've gotten so much support uh, from Mike's Pizza Kitchen, from Red Beer, for Giant's Donuts. Um, I can't say enough about um, all the support I've gotten, a lot of help, um, a lot of encouragement. And, you know, I really owe a lot for, uh, to, you know, from them is, is that they can show us how it's done, you know, and, and it's possible for foreigners set up a, um, a company like this and, and um, really make it in, in China. I mean, that's really good inspiration. How has that experience been? Because you've been working for many years with a company in China, and now you're kind of doing your own thing, and you've had to, I assume, register this and go through all that process. Has it been what you expected? What are your feelings on yeah, I, I the mean, regulatory process that you've been through? You know, and, and I think this is probably depending on the scale of what, what you're doing. Um, for restaurant business, which is not a huge lot of investment, um, the attitude that's probably the best way to approach it is, you know, find somebody that's doing it, that knows how to do it, and then follow their rules. But then sometimes you just have to go out and first start doing the business, and then at the same time go through, you know, the registrations, getting licenses. But don't let that stop you. I mean, it's, sometimes it's better just to go through and, and try to start doing the business itself and then follow up on getting the regulations in place um, as you go along. Um, now, having said that, you know, if it's a huge investment or something you're looking at, that's not, that's not going to work. But for a restaurant or something, I think as long as you can talk with somebody, get some, uh, some, some good instruction on how to do it, um, it's not that complicated. Kind of like it's better to uh, beg for forgiveness than to ask for exactly. permission. If there's going to be some regulatory conflict, then let it naturally emerge um, through your operations and then figure out how to deal with it. Right. And most of the time you get some, uh, some issues with um, uh, maybe the street committee or somebody that's, uh, you know, the, the food inspectors or something that, um, you know, you might be complying 100%, but they're still going to give you some issues. Um, you just have to work through it. Yeah, there's a, a Chinese idiom that I like that is, uh, uh, 车到山前, uh, 必有路, 
which is uh, sort of like where there's a will, there's a way, or we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. When the car gets to the front of the mountain, there's got to be a road somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, just, just like a, a small factoid is that um, in Chengdu, you're not allowed to have any um, restaurant establishment in the same building that houses residences. I've heard about this. So theoretically, that's 99% of all restaurants are illegal in Chengdu. So, I mean, it, it's so this it's is, something. This is, this is for buildings that have uh, food. Yeah, and and, on, and on the, the and the guys that come by and inspect floor. you, I mean, they'll say, "Look, uh, just so you know, this is what the regulation says, but we know this is not the way it's done." So. You don't have to be so much worried about right. it. Right. The, the real contours of the law are determined by implementation, not necessarily what exists in theory in, in the law books. And, you know, when it comes down to implementation, that's where there's a little bit of room for uh, interpretation and negotiation and discussion. And if you're prepared to be engaged in that process, then you can probably find a way to navigate those challenges when they present themselves. Yeah. And, but, but, I mean, you still have to do a little bit of due diligence to make sure that you know uh, some people have done it before, and you know where to go to resolve issues. That's the main thing. Has going through this process in Tonsilin been any different from Flowertown? Has, I mean, has Flowertown been easier? I mean, it's obviously been much cheaper. Yeah, but I mean, Flowertown, we were blessed is that we had a previous owner there that we still cooperate and do a thing, so they helped us smooth the, the entryways. So that, that, that helped quite a bit. Um, but I think for Tonsilin, I mean, um, so far, so good. We haven't had any major issues, and um, you know, we've also had a lot of good uh, advice from Mike and um, from uh, Johnny and, and from Redbeard. So I mean, that's helped a lot too. So you were just uh, passing around photos and showing us pictures of a new smoker that you've got made. What what are the plans for that smoker? Is that going to go in the new location, or is that going to be out at Flower Town? Yeah, it's going to be. Um, we're going to test it out in um, in Flower Town. Actually, what we did was we we bought a gas range, and then we've turned it into a hybrid. Uh, gas smoker uh, grill. So it's basically you can put uh, charcoal as well as wood chips in there to get the ease and, and uh, the power that you have with a gas grill. Do high temperature um, steaks and all that. But you also have some of the flavors that you would get with like nice wood chips and charcoal. So we're gonna, after we test it, we're going to put it down in Tonsilin and, and be able to do like a different profile like uh, grilling vegetables and steaks and uh, different types of uh, cuts of meat. Amazing. Was the production process for that the same as the previous one, same guy? Exactly the same guy. Um, you Did know, you right? learn new things with this smoker that you thought, hey, I'm going to do it better than last time, or um, a is there an evolution? A little bit. I mean, it's, it's still, it's, um, sometimes it, it just comes down to like you're wandering around in some of the metal markets or it's, uh, material supply markets in Chengdu, and you say, oh my God, I can actually buy that. And then we didn't incorporate it into our design. <laughs> so, I mean, a lot of it, you know, you, you can't really know if you're going to find exactly what you need, but sometimes you find something that just works even better than what you're looking for. So that's one of the, the crazy things it about It sounds Chengdu. like you're referring to something specific. Was there something that you saw in those material markets that surprised you that you incorporated in there? Yeah, there was, there was a really nice um, uh, grill grate that, um, you know, in the, in the States, um, they're part of like a, a company design. They have like a laser etcher that cuts out the designs or something like that. Um, and we found pretty much the same concept um, for dirt cheap here in Chengdu. So, what, what do you mean? What what does grill grate technology have to um, offer? What does that What does that affect the cooking process for the uh, ignorant uh, ignorant consumers out there like myself? Yeah, I mean, it's just that you want something that gives you enough uh, surface uh, area on the metal that you don't have to worry about um, too much exposure to um, the flames at any one time, and you get a nice 
pattern, um, uh, what we call from the Malliard effect, that you can see like on a good steak, it has oh. like those grill marks on yeah, it. Yeah, sure. That's so that's the Malliard effect? Yeah, because it's basically, it's, if, you, if you get it hot enough, the grill itself is cooking in such a way that it creates a, like, a little bit of a caramelized taste to it. So it's, it's a really nice flavor to have with direct grilling. Well, I'm just a lonely traveler and I don't know where I'm bound oh, But if I keep moving, then I know that I'll be found I'll climb high top of Mount Coffee holds a crown But until that day, keep on wondering He must feed, he must stare in the eyes of evil Know that he is free Till the good blood calls Keep on wondering So what happens if this Tonzalin restaurant is hugely successful? Do you see yourself getting full-time into restaurateur business? Do you see yourself getting fatter <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'll probably put on a couple pounds, um, and we'll see where that takes me. But You know, um, I, I feel like uh, proximity to Johnny's Donuts is probably negatively correlated to, uh, to health outcomes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, but it's, I think it's, it's, it's really, um, uh, we haven't really planned out too much details, because I think it's like we, we're not coming from a background where we're experts in this area. So we're more of like, okay, let's try this out, try this out, and then take it as it comes. I mean, just to see where it goes. Do you guys have plans to do uh, delivery or catering? Uh, tell me about sort of your, your marketing uh, strategy or how you're trying to appeal to customers. Is it going to be mostly a, a dine-in situation or a takeout situation? How, how are you trying to work the sales? Um, well, I mean, we, we want to focus on first is like uh, uh, to have more of the dine-in um, and try to keep it a very comfortable environment for people that they can sit it, sit down, you know, um, you know, be with their friends, listen to music, um, and not feel like they're pressured or anything, and and have a little space to like spread out a little bit. Um, and then we'll still the, we'll still do the catering. I mean, catering is is still growing quite a bit for us, um, and we'll still do deliveries as well. But I think what we want to do is try to get um, it, you know, sit down experience for the customers and get to know them a little bit better, and then also try to like use this as a way to um, you know just attract people with a nice environment. How do you feel about um, the way that you do your menu and your packaging of the products? When we first met you several, I guess it was six months ago, a year ago now, uh, you were just coming up with the first uh, edition of your menu. And I'm sort of curious to hear how that's evolved, um, your ideas on pricing and, um, and, and the way that you present the product offerings to the customers and, and if those have changed at all. Um, we haven't had too much change, but, I mean, it's still – um, pretty much the same process that we've used. I mean, very basic. I mean, I'll take something that I like or I'm interested to try out. And then I have a, um, right now our crew of, um, uh, we have about three or four people that um, both our, our store manager and, and some of our cooks will try it out together. Uh-huh. And then sometimes it, it, sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes it, it, you know, it doesn't taste right or, it, or it's not attractive for Chinese customers or 
um, you know, it may be limited to its pill, but um, sometimes we get a really nice hit. Um, especially right now, we're trying out some Cajun options. Uh -huh. So we want to try to get that on the menu when we're starting out here. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's also something that um, it comes back to the same idea is that you're, com you're introducing something that's never been done before. And it's something that, you know, when they look at it, they're like, oh, that can't taste good. You know, because it looks so different from Sichuan cuisine. But then when they try it and then you see, oh, there's a smile on their face, then you know you've got a hit or something. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, that's really also really magical is that it's not only from our staff, but then later on, once they're a believer, then they try to promote that to the customers. You know, I wonder and, when you explain this to people, you say, oh, it's an American barbecue. And you're like, okay, American shao kao. Yeah. And then that must come with a, an explanation just every time. Yeah, I mean, and most people, they never had a chance to, like, try it out. So it really comes down to it is, you know, our, our, our staff and their ability to explain a little bit. And also, if they have a smile on their face, you know, and they're also convinced. One thing that's interesting is on the wall in the beer nest, the original one near the U.S. consulate, it has a kind of a large diagram, which I think was made by Dieter and Beer Nest to describe the beer brewing process. Right, it's like which a, is an, interesting a, an infographic. Yeah, exactly. It might be interesting to have something like that to explain what smoked barbecue is. I, I think that's a, a brilliant idea. And I will just say in terms of sort of the challenges of educating the consumer about the process and what goes into it, it's not just the Chinese consumers that need to be educated. Even people like me, like Dan was saying earlier, when we looked at the smoker, it makes you realize, oh, that's how a smoker works. Because even though I've grew up in the South, I've had delicious barbecue a number of times. The number of times I've actually closely looked at the equipment is, is very few, and I probably was operating to the degree that I had any awareness about the way that the cooking process worked for barbecue. I probably had some misguided notion in my mind that a smoke was essentially like a grill mm -hmm. with a top that sealed on there so that the smoke was somehow trapped in there, yeah, and then yeah, you yeah. closed it down, and then it all kind of marinated in it. But no, when we see it, you see that there's actually like a circuitous this channel that the, the smoke has to go through from where it is below to where it, it, it sort of S-curves around the side, goes up across the meat, you know, does another hairpin turn, comes back, blows across the meat again, and then finally goes out the chimney up top. Yeah, I would like to see that in infographic form. And I think, I think knowing more about the cooking process is, makes it more enjoyable and makes you, like, you're like, oh, that flavor came with that much, that much effort and that much time and that... It really makes you understand. I, I also think when, when – I'm sorry. Whenever you sort of um, hack a difficult product and then you, um, and you break down the, the process and then you, you, you're able to conquer that, um, it's, it, it's even more gratifying to the consumer when as you do that, you also telegraph the process and you help to demystify it for them. So when we look at the, the, the beer at the beer nest, I think it's wonderful because we never had craft beer in Chengdu, but also as I'm enjoying the craft beer, I'm getting an intellectual understanding of what was the means of production that went into this particular product. So you're appreciating it on a, a whole other level. Yeah, and, and that's what's amazing too about Chengdu is that you can actually, you're sitting in a bar and then you can have a conversation with someone with like Dieter or someone like Brian and they can explain this to you and you can know from someone that really loves it and enjoys it and has a passion for it and then they can also partake of their product. I mean, that's, I mean, it's hard to find another place like that. For anybody who doesn't know, Dieter is the Belgian proprietor of the Beer Nest and Brian is a beer brewer in Chengdu from California. 
who has a Sichuan peppercorn beer, which is wonderful. Yeah, just awesome. Uh, if you have any ch- um, opportunity to try it, definitely try it. And the f- future guests, we should get Dieter on here sometime in the future as well. Uh, again, you know, one of the, the things that I was tipping my cap to you for at the beginning is the, uh, the DIY approach, but also the spirit of entrepreneurship, which is something that we've really seen explode in Chengdu. It's something that I think is good for Chinese society as well as for the expat community and is uh, something that we want to encourage in Chengdu living and be a part of the promulgation of that culture and that, that spirit. Um, what what can you tell us about the, the the challenges of entrepreneurship since you're coming from a background with having a real serious professional job um, and working for a large company and what is it like to dive into the sea yourself and have to uh, you know swim uh, against the current or with the current or however whatever yeah. which way the current metaphor, goes in yeah, entrepreneurship yeah I mean it's hopefully it's not the current like in Duchang Yen that's going <laughs> to wipe you out but um, no I mean it's I, I think sometimes it's just more of like um, you got to take risks but you got to do a little bit of calculation too is I mean I, I don't like it when you know people that go in with a huge investment and they've never tried it out or they haven't thought it through or something and I see that happen quite a bit um, from a lot of entrepreneurs here um, you know from from restaurants or, or something else but I think it's good to just go out and, and I think as long as you put in your own time and your own effort and you really want to do this, this is something that you care about, that's when it makes the most sense to be an entrepreneur, I think. I also feel like restaurants are a particularly risky type of business to start unless you have something which is truly novel. Yeah. And I believe that all those places in Tonsalin on that strip, are you can't really go anywhere else to find those things, those particular things. Yeah, and I think it's also it's something that each place there, I mean, they have um, the personality of um, the people working there or, or the owners really comes through in their product and also your experience in the whole process. And, um, I mean, it's something that I don't, I don't even think in the States you can find something that's, that's really comparable. For me, the authenticity is just unrivaled. You know, there are other pizza places. You can get donuts in other places, but they just don't hold a candle. Yeah, you can't get a real American experience anywhere else. And that's what's cool about uh, a lot of the shops that are on that strip. Yeah, well, I think uh, that's one of the great things about a lot of the entrepreneurs is that they have made it their success by dint of their commitment to their particular product um, and not because they, they came in with a large amount of cra- uh, capital to support um, advertising and the hype. But uh, uh, with Dieter and the Beer Nest and with Mike and Mike's Pizza and with Johnny and Johnny's Donuts and with Iron Pig and the Barbecue, it's been about the product of the quality from day one. And uh, that is how the, the customer base has been built up and that's how word has spread. It's always a struggle in restaurant businesses that um, how many options you want to have. I mean, do you want to have like 50 items on the menu that you do relatively okay, or do you want to have four or five that you do really well? I mean, that's also something that we struggle with sometimes because sometimes you, you, know, you see a customer comes in, they say, I want something else. You know, maybe I want a vegetarian option. I want, um, you know, something that's a little bit more seafood, uh, something that has rice in it. Um, and I want to help people, but. On the other hand, too, is, you know, does that make sense for what I'm trying to do as my main 
Um, I, I think having the discipline to only do what you're really great at is super valuable, especially here where everybody tries to do everything and, and fails at most of those things. I, I think you're right in that these companies succeed off of the specialization, mm -hmm. and uh, you don't want to dilute the mission that you're on. Um, and if you try to appeal to everybody, you may lose lose your, your, your goal uh, in being appealing to the, the people who you really can appeal to, the, the, the segment that you can truly satisfy, you might, you might lose that if you try to appeal to everybody. But I'll say the times that I've been there and several of those times we've been together and you've just brought a whole bunch of stuff for us to try, everything has been really good. And it's been a fairly wide variety of things. We've had at least five or six sides, probably two or three different types of meat. Yeah, that's one of the joyful things about eating at Iron Pig. It's like you just getting a nice large spread of, you get to try like five or six different flavors and you get to try each of the sauces on each of them. It's just, okay, I'm going to stop talking about it's it. Decadent. It's decadent. It's, 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 it is absolutely decadent. And uh, I, I, like, I like everything, but I like especially having that variety in the meal. That's something, you know, that uh, maybe at American restaurants you, you – you can get like an, a main course, but for here, like all the sides are incredible, and and it's all it also appeals, I think, to the Chinese sensibility. It appeals to the Chinese sensibility in that it's something that's e even more enjoyable with uh, the more people that you eat it with. Uh, it's it's good yeah. to sit around a big table and to share all of it, just pass passing around the sides. You so, probably get this all the time. You probably get people giving you ridiculously enthusiastic rave reviews of the cuisine. Um, how does that make you feel? Is that something that, that you get a lot and uh, you have any yeah, stories? Has anybody literally fainted from, <laughs> from enjoyment of your barbecue? No, but I, I mean, honestly speaking, I mean, we, we're, we're really focused on how do we do it uh, better. I mean, we want to always learn from uh, what we might have made a mistake on or, you know, what can we do better? Because um, so I think that whenever I look at it, I always think of things so like, you know, maybe there's something that we could do better on the service or maybe something a little bit different. We can try to improve the, the flavor. So, I mean, I don't think you ever reach a point where you can be really completely satisfied. You're extraordinarily humble. Yeah, I was going to say, you're a, you hear this guy? This guy's a goddamn professional. He's a nolly, <laughs> nolly. No, you know, we're, hey, look, we're all trying to get better. We're working hard. There's, there's things that still haven't been fixed yet. Well, that's, that's an amazing attitude to have, and it's probably going it, to, it means good things That's what That's what productive people do yeah. to, to deflect uh, uh, compliments in a classy way. And it's, it's true. It's true as well. I'm, there are elements of your operation that are probably not what they could be. Yeah, I mean, and if you look at, um, if you have a chance to go to the States, you go to a barbecue competition, we're nowhere near these guys that are, like, been doing it for 15, 20 years or more. I mean, we're still a lot of things we got to learn, um, and there's a lot of things that we can try out. And that's the thing that's that's really great about barbecue is it's, it has a lot of depth in this field. Mm -hmm. So there's so many different products that I mean I could bring in. There's so many different types of things I could try. I mean, definitely I could spend the next 20 or 30 years just trying different things here. Yeah. Well, actually, um, I, for some reason, not too long ago, I ended up on a food blog. Oh, I remember now. I love uh, Lanjo La Mien, and uh, I, was, I would, went, was looking, I was entertaining fantasy in which I went back to the United States and opened a successful franchise of Lanjo La Mien places, 
and it caused me to search out whether or not there was already Lanjo Lamia in places in Atlanta, led me to a food blog that had reviewed one, and then I continued along that food blog where they had reviewed a bunch of barbecue places. So I found myself perusing pictures of various barbecue places from a regional barbecue tour that they had taken, and one of the things that struck me when I was looking at the pictures from all the barbecue places is the amount of intention and weight that you can feel in the routine and ritual that's embedded in the spaces when you go to these places because they've been so carefully honed and optimized for this particular process and when you were just saying that just now you know we don't hone a can we don't hold a candle to these guys who've been doing it for 20 years you can really see that in the way that the space is laid out in a, in a simple and meaningful and intentional way and uh, I think there's a real beauty to that that's that's where the craft lies in all those little details. Yeah, I, I mean, there's there's a lot of magic to places like um, Franklin's Barbecue in the states. I mean, um, it's a place where he only has like four or five things on the menu, and he's only open from like I think it was 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Mm -hmm. I wonder where sells out. Where, know, where like, are the barbecue places that you really look up to? Are there because when we spoke to Mike, he mentioned a few specific pizzerias in New York who he kind of idolizes and really looks up to and kind of has learned a lot from. Are there any barbecue places like that or people who have been yeah. an influence on you in particular? I, I would say definitely. I mean, we probably owe the most um, to an outfit in Beijing, Home Plate Barbecue. And they've, they were ones, the, the real pioneers. I mean, we're, we're probably um, somewhat a pioneer here in Chengdu, but they were, I think, the really the first authentic people to do barbecue here in China. Home plate um, barbecue. How yeah. long has that been open? I'll try to check that out. Um, by the way, I'm going to Beijing. I think tomorrow. since um, 2009 or 2008, something like that. Pretty They've been time. here for yeah, and they started out in a small place, and now they got a really nice uh, big place in San Leitun. Um, it, it's funny when you were talking about Franklin's barbecue and saying, oh, you know, he only has three items. He's only open for five day, you know, three hours a day or whatever. It made me think of that Japanese sushi documentary, Jiro's Dreams of yeah. Sushi. And I, I think, you know, there's a little bit of a parallel there in sort of the, the, um, the uh, commitment to craftsmanship and the obsession that goes into making one or two things really, really well. Um, and that, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's something that if you look at barbecue, especially if you do something like a brisket, um, it's difficult to begin with. And then as you get better, you find out, oh, my gosh, there's so much more room to improve. So you could spend a lifetime just getting it right. Well, you know, my wife is from Hunan, and um, one of the things that she says is that the, the hardest thing to do is to make a mantel. And to make manto, the difference between a good manto and a great manto is really where the mastery lies. And it's because it's so simple. The, the fundamental process is so simple. The ingredients are so simple. Yeah. The steps are so simple that those little tiny details and the temperature and the amount of yeah. time and the way that you work with the materials make all the difference. And, you know, I think in that Japanese sushi documentary as well, there's a whole thing about the obsession that goes into cooking rice, to yeah. cook rice in exactly the, the right way. So when you look at something like barbecue, you know, the inputs are relatively limited. You know, you have yeah. the meat, you have your your sauce or your rub and you have your your smoke. smoke yeah yeah but then you know how do you play with those things i mean you have just a couple elements but the combinations the way you do it um and some really small things that can make a world of difference 
Um, like caressing the meat, obviously. Yeah, well, That's your secret, I understand. Yeah, I, I don't caress it personally, just to make that clear. <laughs> um, but, but, but seriously, I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, in, in China, they also say about, like, dang chao fan, you know, egg fried rice. I mean, there's, it's really the simple thing, but to make it right, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a lot of things you can do to, to change or play with, and it's really difficult to master it. Um, you know, I remember last time we met with you, uh, you mentioned that there was actually an internal debate within your organization about whether or not you should open up the location out at Flowertown first or whether you should try to move into the city immediately or whether you should try to run two sites. Um, how do you feel about that, uh, that question, that consideration now six months down the road? Do you think it was right for you to open up the Flowertown first or do you wish you had gone right in? Um, what, what are the lessons learned from, from you know, the, the operations I, so far? I mean, I, I think definitely the Flower Town was, was a great idea, and it was the only option because we can't put the smoker um, due to the, 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 the smoke coming out of it, um, and uh, we couldn't put it really downtown. So we had to have some place like Flower Town, and I think Flower Town was good because it's a, you know, more of a neutral area that you can try out things, um, try to get a little bit better, get a little bit of experience, before you go to the big time, which I consider to be Tonsalin. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I think coming into Tonsalin, we've got a lot of good experience. We've got some uh, people that we trust and that we know that it's going to do a good job. So I think we're, we're better prepared. We have more confidence going into it. Where can people check you out? And what is this opening going to look like? So assuming that this happens maybe next week, will you have kind of a big event there? Yeah, we'll we'll try to get out more information to everyone, um, and you know I really appreciate uh, Tonal Living's uh, support on that, um, and we'll try to have um, more of an event that to try to bring in people that have been supporting us, have been following us, um, and also try to get the word out um, for the neighbors in in Tonsling as well, because um, I think it's it's a good uh, storefront, um, it's very visible. But we also want to put in things like maybe some live music, um, uh, a little bit more of an experience uh, for people that don't really know about um, American culture, barbecue, um, and, and try to introduce it in a more holistic fashion like that. Um, but uh, so far, we're, we're just concentrating on the decoration, getting everything in, getting the food right. Um, and, and so far, um, we'll probably be putting out more information on that in the next couple of days. Blues music would be nice. Nice performance. A ni yeah. yeah, I like that. That's a nice pairing with the barbecue. Um, you know, we should say we have recognized your growth within the community, and uh, we are so happy to have you as a part of the community. I've, I've gotten feedback from numerous people um, who've gone and tried your stuff totally independently of, of my um, relationship to you and to hear them come back with that feedback and, and rave about it and uh, see the way that it's made the culinary offerings in Chengdu more diverse uh, is really satisfying and, and a great thing that we definitely want to support going forward. Really appreciate it and um, you know I'm happy to um, you know to to give also kudos to you guys I mean what you're doing at Chengdu Living is really great for the community and getting other people involved and such and knowing about different options as well as um, you know Again, you guys have a lot of things going on as well with the dojo, um, you know, with your jobs, um, your personal life, with Sino Stage, um, all these things. And I think it's really, it's great is that, you know, the foreign community here, that everybody helps out, um, care about each other, and, uh, you know, really supportive. So thank you guys. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate it.
So aside from the new location in Tonsalin and the existing place in Flower Town, you have a website which is launching soon and you have a WeChat channel which people can follow. We'll include that information. And you also have some of your products are available at Mike's Pizza Kitchen and maybe other restaurants as well. Describe what, how people can get your food because your, the pizza which is made with your barbecue is pretty much my go-to pizza at Mike's Pizza Kitchen now. It is delicious. Describe that and, and any other places that your food's available. Right, sure. At Mike's Pizza Kitchen, you got uh, Zuragia, which has got our pulled pork. Um, and it's that's just. That's a sandwich, right? No, there's, it's the pizza. There's a sandwich oh, and a pizza. pizza. That's the pizza. Yeah, okay. the pizza yeah, is the, great. The, the, the sandwich is called the Justin. So, okay. Um, and also at Redbeard, you can get um, a really wonderful pulled pork smothered fries oh. that just is a meal in itself. Mm. And mm. also, of course, you can get a, a pulled pork sandwich, uh, which incorporates our Texas uh, feisty barbecue sauce. Um, which is also really awesome. So both Mike's Pizza Kitchen um, and uh, Redbeard are great options. Um, I haven't figured out a way to get into Johnny's Donuts, but uh, <laughs> there's, that's there's a barbecue pork donut in development right now. You should fill one of the donuts with barbecue sauce. There's, there's no possibility that Johnny has not thought of that yeah. and is working on it right now. Um, are you going to start selling your sauces? Because I know you're, you're making your own sauces as well, and they're fantastic. Um, that's a great idea, but we just haven't had a time, uh, time to really think about it. But I mean, definitely in the future, if we can get um, everything else the way we want it, that's one of the good logical steps to take. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been really great. The last thing which I would like to ask is if there are any barbecue-related songs which you like or can recommend. One, one of my favorites is um, the Avid Brothers. The uh, Avid Brothers. Yeah, and I can give you guys some samples of that. I mean, it's it's they they do some really nice music. Wonderful. So, All right, wonderful. so we, we will imagine you listening to the Avid Brothers wearing with your apron on, with your apron on, on a sweltering day in Chengdu, feeding uh, oak logs into the, into the smoker. Um, chef's hat? No chef's hat? Pro- probably a, a, no, not, not a chef hat, but <laughs> more, more like um, a white trash type of uh, feed, country feed. I don't know. <laughs> Flip flops. Yeah, and something like that. Wife beater. Yeah, exactly. Uh, maybe a, a cold, cold beer in your hand. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah definitely. Beer koozie. Yeah. Delicious. Wonderful. Thank you very much again. Thank you so much, Justin. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Check us out on Facebook and on Twitter. All of the podcast episodes are available at ChonaLiving.com and on iTunes as well, where you can subscribe to the podcast or stream from the website. Thank you very much for listening. All right. Yeah, wonderful. So, here we go. Product of the from day one. Yeah, and that's what's amazing too about Chengdu is that you can actually you're sitting in a bar and then you can have a conversation with someone like Peter or with someone like Brian, and they can explain this to you, and you can know from someone that you has a passion for it, and then they can also partake of their product. I mean, that's. It's hard to find another place like that. Close the laundry door. Tiptoe across the floor. Keep your clothes on. I've got all that I can take. Teach me how to use 
love that people say you make. Machine. I am a breathing time machine.